do a bit of an overview just to give us a, a centrality of why we would even be concerned about the role. And while we're talking about fathers and sons, this can be fathers and daughters and mothers and daughters and mothers and sons. And we'll look expansively even beyond the family to what that means. I wanted to tell you this, Joel and I, in all of the years that we have been here together at the church and served, we've given one other message together. And Joel was probably 14 or so when we did that, I think. It, we did a message on teaching your kids about sex. Can you imagine this poor kid sitting up here having to talk with his dad about sex in front of hundreds of people? And that might be why he's never preached with me again since. But he's going to today, and hopefully it will be helpful to you. Uh, let me just give us a, a biblical <coughs> underpinning, and we're going to do this a little more about sharing our journey and what's been impacting for us, both of us, rather than simply expositing a passage. But I want to build the framework for it. So this is a passage in Deuteronomy in the verses that preceded. It's called the Shema. It was considered a central text for every Jewish individual. This would be Jesus' life and what he centered on. In fact, you'd know the verses before if you'd been around church. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We tend to hear that individually, like that's what God's saying to us. But listen to the immediate application. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. The understanding of that was that as you talk about them, as you reflect there, they sit on your hearts. And the more you do it, over time, it seeps into your heart. So the whole counsel of being on your hearts is put it in front of you, put it in front of you, put it in front of you. And at the right time, God will move it in you. And then it even speaks to that. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, impress means to recite. Continually impart this to your kids. Talk about it at morning and at night and throughout the day. Continually interact over this central truth. So we can get a picture already from this that the role of parents is to impart to children. It's to pass along what they've grown in. Not simply give something they don't have, but to pass it along. In fact, we often hear in the church this next passage, which is one sometimes unfortunately gets taken as a promise, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. We read this as if to say, if you teach them the right things, they are sure to act on them. Did I hear laughter when I said that? <laughs> and I think that's actually good to hear laughter because that's one of the, dep the, the deprivations we have or struggles. Oftentimes as parents, we feel so much regret because our kids didn't take the path we thought they would or should. And what I want to say before we get any further into this is, this is not a time to look back with regret. Though if there are things you regret, remember God meets you in them. Because I will tell you the truth, no matter what we do, things don't turn out the way we plan them to. I have sat with families that, and I've lived alongside of families that have done all the things probably parented in much better ways than I, and yet what they're in in the brokenness doesn't add up. And so what I don't want us to get to today is this is prescriptive. What we're talking about will happen if you do this and follow these three steps. In fact, let me say it another way that maybe will be helpful to you that's always been encouraging to me. Uh, I grew up in a home I deeply value and loved my mother, mother and father. They both passed in this time right now. Whatever, you know what I mean. They passed away a while ago. Uh, my dad, it was a much rougher go. And so he might be one that would hear stuff we talk about and regret it. But my dad's last year of his life was the best year of our relationship. 
And I'm kind of amazed to look all the things that I might have struggled with through life, much of it was remedied by those last year, that last year. So I, I want to say it to anybody here. Listen, I don't care where you are in the life of your relationships with your kids. You have opportunity growing forward. And I just want to remind us of that, that it's not about where it's been. You can do great things going forward, even if you have great lament in the past. And I just, I think I wanted to remind us of that. And let me give you one more picture. And this is a picture from Paul in the New Testament. It expands our view. And I think Jesus even gives us more clarity. Paul is writing about a friend of his, Timothy, who he's mentored. And he says, for this reason, I'm sending you Timothy. He's sending another leader. And he says, my son, whom I love. He speaks about his faithfulness to the Lord. He will remind you of the way to live, which agrees with what I teach everywhere. Timothy is not his actual son, but we'd say he's his spiritual son. And the reason I want to remind us of this is ultimately... It's not about who we parent in our homes, though it is about that. It's about how we parent spiritually. And that should be both in and outside of our homes. But make no mistake, wherever you are in whatever phase of life, you have an opportunity as you grow in faith to bring others along in it, what we call spiritual parenting. And, and make no mistake, Jesus actually makes this clear that it's more important. In fact, Joel and I were interacting, getting ready for this, and one of the things I love when we interact is he'll... He always considers things differently, looks at it, and he goes, hey, have you thought about what Jesus actually said about families? And so we start talking about that, and because Jesus says things like, I will put father against son and mother against daughter. That does not sound very optimistic, does it? But what he's saying is, where one believes and one does not, they may end up in conflict and not at the same place. And what matters ultimately is the family of God and the family we have of faith. In fact, Jesus has a moment when he's together with all these people and his, his own family's outside and they say, your family's outside. And he says, no, no, my family's in here. They're the people that follow and do the ways of the father. And so I say that to you to go, please do not settle for your actual family as being the most important thing in your life. And I'm not dismissing it, but I want to shatter the idea that it's an idol. Because just because you have a nice family does not mean we're living the ways of God and what he wants for our families. And we can have spiritual family inside and outside of our own. Now, I know that sounds really fun, and you're probably like, thanks so much, happy Father's Day. But it's important we get things right in the right order. I just didn't want us to miss this. So spiritual parenting is really important, and it should begin in our actual homes, but it extends well beyond that. So having kind of laid this groundwork, what Joel and I wanted to do today is just kind of interact, which is what we've been doing over the last week, about what we've both learned and what we're learning together now and learning on our own. And, and let me just say this, you know, Joel's obviously my son, he's now fathering as well, uh, as he has three kids of his own. And uh, so uh, some of it is even just hearing from him and what he's learning. And I will tell you this, oftentimes grandparents say, and it is true that grandchildren are great joy, and they are, but watching your kids be parents is also another great joy. As you watch them do things and parent in their own right, in their own way, and so in this phase of life, you are, you know, you're in seminary full-time, you're working, you have three young boys, so life is very peaceful and calm and without stress. Mm -hmm. What do you even do to try to invest in them in the midst of all this chaos and demand? I think the biggest thing for Liz and I that we've um, tried to do is to carve out like rhythms of time that we have that are kind of set and let some of those other things kind of fall around that and revolve around that. So some of our biggest rhythms are 
family dinners, um, putting the kids to bed at night. Um, some of that was because things like cry it out or whatever didn't work, and so we just <laughs> got into bad habits, but it's turned into a really uh, sacred time. Um, and sometimes exhausting time. But uh, so that, and then we have a weekly Sabbath meal and a whole day that we spend together as well. So the rest of the week oftentimes feels like it's kind of spiraling out of control or things are building up in our schedules, but we know that we have these times that are kind of sacred and carved out. So you've developed kind of predictable patterns, things that you do. And I love what you said when we were talking about it, you alluded to it today, how putting them to bed one moment can be very sacred. And the next moment can be very difficult in surviving and not feel like the most wonderful of experiences as it doesn't end or continues on, right? Yeah. <laughs> we have a video. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have that. Uh, oh, boy. Talk a little about Sabbath and what you do to make that special for the kids in you. Uh, the, the way we, we always start off with it is a big meal together on Friday nights. And that's kind of been the thing that the whole time revolves around. That's how we kick it off. It's a big meal with dessert. Um, and uh, then the, the next day, what we, we pretty much just spend our time relaxing, hanging out, watching movies, um, and just being together. So having that meal time, though, that's set aside has become a, a really special thing. And the boys will ask, like, uh, is it tomorrow? Or like they look forward to it and know it's coming. It's a rhythm that kind of like. They're ready for it and they anticipate it. <clears throat> yeah. And you work very hard to get other things done so that you have the space. I mean, you have to do extra work so your, both your paid and unpaid work doesn't happen during that day. Right. But when you're busy, it's easy to let that move in, isn't it? Yeah. So, so one of the things that, that we talked about with this is Sabbath itself, in case you don't realize it, it's something that's given at the creation story and then it's given again to Israel. The intention is when Messiah comes, you live in Sabbath more. And so we, you want Sabbath to become a picture in the life of the family of Jesus' very presence in our lives. Now, we oftentimes think abstractly, and when you have kids, they don't think that way. Obviously, they think in a concrete manner. And make no mistake, God in the Bible is much more concrete in how he even communicates who he is to us. So in the life of a, of a young person in the Jewish culture, to even learn the value of Scripture, they would actually give them a taste of honey to be reminded as they were learning how sweet the taste of scripture is to them. That's a tactile way to learn. And the same thing with Sabbath, and you guys have done this, where you make something even simply like a special dessert and special meal. When the kids feast, they get a sense that this is a day of feasting and special engagement. Well, what should it be like in the life of someone following Jesus? We should be feasting on who he is. So I want you to picture that kids get this image from those pictures. And that's a little bit, when Joel and I talked about this, one of the pieces we got into is the idea that there's time and then there's sacred time. And so we said that investing in chronos will create kairos. Well, chronos just means time. It means when you give time, eventually you hit sacred moments. You cultivate sacred life out of the regularity of what you do. So one of the things, and Joel's kids are still little, but as our kids got older, Jane and I began to do, we used to have dates with the kids. So we would each, and we have four kids, so they got once a month. It's not like we did them all. But we each had time with each one of them. And we created Kronos. We just were present with them, hoping that somewhere along the way something sacred would happen. So, so, so with that in mind, tell a little about what you, because we talked about this, what's been most significant to you as we've talked about how we spent time together. 
Yeah, like like growing up. Yeah, maybe. growing up. <clears throat> um, today, right now. Right now, in this moment. No, not in this moment. Go back to gardening. Um. Yeah. So growing up, I think the thing that stands out the most is just the time that was that we spent together. Not even like necessarily big memorable things, but just feeling like there was a sense of both you and mom being around and being available and feeling like uh, there wasn't like a distance there, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's, it's more just kind of that overall, there was a sense of availability and um, connectedness because of us being together. Yeah, and we talked a lot about how we, take, we tended to drive places, so we'd have a lot of time right, in the yeah. car, going to different events or activities, just a lot of time. Right. And I know one of the things you said was that we, it was kind of in the midst of those that some good things would happen that you couldn't predict or plan. It's not like we had an agenda, but things just came up. We'd talk about something, and what we've discovered as we've looked back was something sacred happened by just being present with each other. When there's chronos, and there's a lot of it, a time, you're much more likely to hit these kairos moments that God kind of jumps in and engages with you. And so we learned together that just having time, and Joel's begun to do this in his own family. Now, one of the things I want to say about this is it also then can make even the bigger events can be different if you don't see them in isolation. So we were talking about things we remembered and, and have cherished kind of in our, our relationship. One of them was just something fun we did after a church service. I had gotten tickets to a Lions game that was later in the day some years ago, and Joel, I surprised him. We went to the game, and even though they lost, which we determined happened most of the times that we went, yeah, I'm sure they lost. Barry Sanders had a big touchdown in the game, and it just didn't matter. We had this shared moment of fun, and even though that may not seem sacred, it kind of shaped some things. So then we started talking about the sacred activities, and we remembered that we took each of you away for a weekend that was kind of a transition into teenager to talk about... What? You want me to say it? Sure. Sex. Oh. Yeah. Just thought we'd bring it back up since you're 31 now. As we talk about that, what do you remember about that weekend away? Um, this was a trap today. <laughs> I didn't ask it first. No, I didn't ask it No, um, I, I think I remember us talking about some of the, like, the specifics of, like, the program thing we went through, but... Mostly what stands out to me is, like, we watched some fun movies and I think went to a concert. Yeah. Well, you, I actually don't remember that. You said that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that was that. Okay, yep, now I remember. So we, um, yeah, I think, like, just the times being together stand out to me. The program we went through also had some just incredible songs that helped us memorize scripture. Are you singing that, that with I sarcasm still, I, Oh, yeah, I am. Um... Every kid learned the songs and they mocked each other as they went through it. But <laughs> I think part of why it didn't, part of why the, like the actual program we went through doesn't necessarily stand out is because that wasn't the only time we talked about it. We talked about that leading up to it and after that. And so it was just kind of one of the moments in um, being, uh, yeah, and us having conversations about sexuality and those kinds of things. So what we, we realized was it was the ongoing commitment to conversation and the events supported it. It didn't determine it. We tend to do that a lot of times as parents. Let's do this one thing and we'll get through it. And I want to be really, really clear with you. If, if I had all four of my kids up here and we talked about our devotional life as a family, it is not pretty. 
and mostly it's me trying and them laughing and me getting upset with them laughing. And, and I, I really, if I look back, I go, I felt like a failure when it came to this designed family time together that was spiritual. But I found when I was alone with the kids, and when Jane found this too, that we had significant engagement because we'd committed Kronos and we found Kairos in it. And so that was something we both kind of talked about a lot is how that's helped us. Now in the same way, uh, and I wanna bring this up beyond a, a nuclear family, because Joel and I have had a unique experience of life together in that we've served together in the church too. Apart from being father and son, we've had this spiritual connection because we've served in similar areas. When Joel was in middle school, he started playing bass because we needed a bass player uh, for the high school and middle school ministry. And then he started helping me because I was leading some adult services. And it led us on this trajectory of serving together where there was lots of chronos, lots of time just serving together. And then it created some sacredness. And so as we talked about that, because it was everything from music to hospital visits, tell, tell us what was meaningful for you in that in the time. I mean, I think similarly to um, the home life stuff, it was just the amount of opportunity and the amount of time that we spent together. So I don't have a memory, you know, for us specifically um, doing worship music together or like me following you on like hospital visits or those kinds of things. There, there aren't these like particular moments that come to mind that are like, oh, that's when I learned how to do that. It was just like through the proximity over time, sort of gathering, uh, learning things just from watching you do that. Just being together. Yeah. And, and you know, it's very biblical. The idea of a rabbi and their disciples is they walk with them and walk through life. And, and I will tell you what was so significant as we've talked about this was Joel was very good at asking questions. Why are we doing this? What are you doing? And it was basic things like, why do we do it in these keys? Why do we switch from here to there at the hospital visit? Why did you do this? How'd you stay that long? Why did you read from that passage? That I found his asking questions forced me to think about why I was doing what I was. Sometimes it helped me to even crystallize, oh, this is why we do this, which helped me teach it better. Sometimes it helped me even reshape it, like, I don't really know why I do that. Uh, but what I found was he was growing me through questions. And I want to say this is a spiritual parenting and mentoring piece because all of us have opportunity to do this with each other. And the role of being together in proximity, spending time, and the role of asking questions and learning, shared learning is really important and I think it's something we've both benefited from in our relationship is he's been a really curious person and continues to be. So by asking questions, it drew things out that I might not have helped other people with had they not asked. But again, all of it centers around moving from Kronos to getting to Kairos. And, and this is the part I want you to see simply is this is not about having some unique skill set or some unique gifting it is simply sheer engagement. Can every one of us do that? I'm just going to ask it one more time. I don't want you guys to be like the guys on the video. Can every one of us do that? Yes. We can. That's what's so beautiful. We're not telling you things that are unique for some skill set or gifting. It's just about sheer engagement and time. So let me move on to a second piece because it relates to Joel was asking, talking about questions. And I think one of the things we talked about was how questions, there were times of struggle in questioning. So talk a little about that. 
Um, yeah, I'm sure there were times, other times growing up too, but especially at the end of high school and going into college for me, I uh, started to wrestle with a lot of things about my faith and that was small, from small things to more like bigger central questions about it. And it was really important, uh, especially looking back, realizing how significant it was that um, being able to talk to you and mom and have it be a safe space where there weren't questions that were off limits, there weren't, you know, the reaction wasn't like, oh, you can't ask that, or like this sense of fear. It was just a safe space to ask questions and to wrestle through what I thought about it, ask you what you thought about it. And that really was, I think, the thing that was probably the most significant through that time was just being able to ask the questions and oftentimes, sometimes getting, well, here's what I think, that would be, you know, sometimes you, you, you might share what you thought about a question I'd ask, but sometimes it was just you responding and saying, that's a really tough question, I don't know that either. And I think in some ways that even spoke, spoke more the willingness to be authentic and not just try to make up some answer to, you know. Yeah, yeah it's hard. Obviously, you're a pastor, you think you're supposed to know all the answers, don't you? I mean... I have people come to me, what's the answer to this? I just say 23. <laughs> what Joel talked about that I thought was so significant is there is an importance that we allow for honest questions and doubts. They must be embraced. I think oftentimes in the life of the church as parents especially, we fear our kids' doubts and questions. And I think we can do this with people outside that we're just loving and caring for. It is regular for me to get difficult questions. And there's a couple of things I've learned. Joel brought one of them up. Like one of the questions he asked about was suffering and why some things happened. And you can't answer that. I can't say this is why. But I could say in the suffering I've experienced, God's met me. That's all I can tell you. Now I can give a theological answer, but I find it's empty. But man, to know I've, I've actually lived through some of this, that's the best I have to offer you. And let me tell you this too, when people ask questions, Joel asks lots of questions and others have too that I don't know the answer to. Did you know it's okay to say I don't know? And oftentimes it was a journey. Those questions prompt me to have to wrestle with my faith, prompt me to seek God and seek the scriptures, prompt me to seek counsel. Sometimes it's reading together, sometimes it's doing things together. And, and make no mistake, you cannot control the destiny of a person asking questions. But you can love them and walk with them. And two things have really helped me in this facet in the centrality and importance of people having questions and doubts and embracing it. One is a picture of Thomas after Jesus rises from the dead. Thomas doubts that it really happened and he says, unless I touch the very holes in his hands, I won't believe. He asks that in the context of all the disciples around. And it's a beautiful thing. The church has understood this over our history to mean it is in the context of the church we should be able to ask questions. And that helps me, because we oftentimes treat it as if someone asking a question lacks faith, and we should shun that and tell them to kind of shut it down. Yet Thomas' example in front of Jesus says, no, no, it's great to ask. It's where it should be asked. And then let me just give you one other picture that's helped me. Karl Barth, who was a German theologian, was writing specifically on the authority of Scripture, but I think it translates even to how we view God. And he said, you don't need to fight to preserve its authority it will reveal itself. In other words, you don't have to control how people perceive the scriptures. Just keep trusting God will reveal who he is in it. 
Because the authority is found in what God has done in it, not in your telling people it is authoritative. And there's a sense of taking your hands off of it and going, listen, embracing question and doubt helps us to grow in our faith. So we have just found that significant in our own relationship and both found it significant as we're trying to help others in this journey of faith in any kind of spiritual parenting and helping them along the way. Let me move to this, this last piece for us. Uh, when, I, when we talked about this more uh, and I asked you kind of what has been most significant apart from time, you talked a little bit about what it had been growing up. Um, yeah, the thing that I think has been the most significant is just watching the way that your faith and mom's faith was real to you guys, that it wasn't just something that you did for us and that it was actually real, you know, in settings like this and in settings at home. Yeah, and so, so for you, it was like, I believe that you're being authentic and this is true. Yeah. And we've, we've talked a lot about this. You have to understand that if you're a, when you're a pastor and you say a lot publicly and you do a lot publicly and your family sees everything you do privately, do you have any idea how stressful that can be? Because think of all the mistakes any of us make and you're thinking, do my kids think I'm even believing this? Does my wife think I'm believing this? So it's daunting. And make no mistake, if Joel had the opportunity, he could share plenty of those failures as well, though not today, right? After the yeah, service, maybe? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks. Yep. But I think I've learned that us pursuing God matters more to our kids than us trying to teach them about it. In fact, the way we said it for your benefit today is simply this. You can't give away what you don't have. And it's one of my heartbreaks, actually, in the life of the church. I'll tell you a very common pattern that happens when we move into adulthood. Many young adults kind of step away from faith for a while, saying it's not really very important. They have children, and then the first thing they say often is, my kids need faith. But what they do is they might even engage in the life of the church for their children. And what do you think matters more, that your kids are around a church or that they see your faith? I'm, I'm trusting you're saying it's seeing your faith, and we all know that. And so I thought about this in my own life. When I look back on being raised in a, a Christian home, particularly where my mom had a strong faith, and my dad struggled in his, our early family life, what impacted me the most, though my mom, I knew, had quiet times and was with the Lord, so I trusted that too, what I watched was her life change and how she treated my dad change and how she prayed for him change, and I couldn't explain it apart from faith because I really believed she was actually trying to give away what she had. And so it's one of the pieces for me, if nothing else you take away from today, you have to decide you're gonna pursue faith for your own life, because that's what you impart to people around you, not a principle or an idea or saying this is good for you. You have to wrestle through these things on your own. It's interesting because the very things we're talking about really apply to us first. We spend chronos. We spend time getting to know God. It creates kairos. We live through our own doubts and questions. We discover God in the midst of them. And then we have something to give away. And that's what hopefully and joyfully, you, you know, that you're hearing from Joel on that. And I think he's seeking to live out with his kids is Liz and I want to live this out so that our kids will actually, actually grow in it. It was interesting as we talked about this too. Because I remembered, it's funny, but when you're trying to live out faith, your kids will impact you as well. So one of the things that happened early in our family life, Jane and I were both uh, exposed more to some teaching about the importance of praying for healing. 
Not the idea that it always happens, but the important that it does happen and that God calls us to pray for it. So when people got sick in our home, we just started praying for them. It was the first thing we did. We'd still go to the doctor, but we began to pray. Well, what impacted us was Joel led the way, but our kids did this too. They started praying for each other when they got sick. We didn't ask them to do it. We didn't try to even train them in it. They just did it. So two things impacted us. One was that they, kids don't do things unless they see a merit to it. So it meant they believed something was happening. And we'd actually see times where kids felt better that we couldn't explain. It was powerful. It was all about trying to live it out and watching them live it out. And it's amazing how when you see that, your kids will inform your faith too. So it kind of gives back. And I thought that was really powerful for us to see it. Well, let me take you just to kind of a final thought. And we want to tell you one story to kind of wrap this up. Uh, and it's really both a statement and a question. We all have a legacy. In other words, you will leave something behind in your lives. And it's to your own family, but it's also to the people that you have influence and relationship with. And it's a simple question, what will you pass on? And make no mistake, you pass on what matters to you. You just do. Sometimes it's passed on and people don't want it. Sometimes it's passed on and they'll go, I love that, I want to follow it. Other times they'll say, I'm going to do the opposite because it's not what I want. But it begs the question, what do we want to pass on? And, and it's not just when you're older. You will, you will be a spiritual influence in people that are younger, older than you, that you're just in proximity to. And so as we thought about this, Joel shared a story I didn't know that kind of reminded us of the legacy factor. So tell a little of your story with this. Yeah, so um, my oldest son uh, is Isaiah. And um, when he probably a couple years ago now, he's five now, but he kind of started getting to that age where he would get scared at night, have nightmares, afraid of the dark, that sort of thing. And so when that started to happen, I remembered something from growing up uh, when I had those same fears, which was that my parents had shared with me Psalm 91, which talks about God being a refuge um, and not letting any harm come to us. And so I got to share with Isaiah this psalm and say, hey, I used to feel scared at night too. And this is the, this is the, the psalm that um, my parents read to me and had me memorize. And it really helped me when I was afraid. And um, yeah. Yeah, so when he shared that back with me, I did not know that, I didn't even remember us sharing it. But when I was a kid, uh, I watched Dark Shadows when I shouldn't have. I think I've shared this before. I became very, uh, very fearful that vampires were real. I slept with a golf club and a cross. <laughs> the cross was supposed to help, and if it didn't, I'd just do something to beat, hoping that would help. <laughs> My mom noticed how fearful I was, and she began to work with me at night to memorize Psalm 91. So it was something she imparted to me that... I found great peace and comfort in, in my early life as a follower of Jesus, and really found something mystical when I would reflect on the passage. I didn't even remember sharing it with Joel or him memorizing it, but now I watched and went, okay, so that happened down from us, and now he's passing it on from my mother to us, to him, to his son. I want you just, that's a simple picture of legacy, but imagine the broader picture of what legacy can be for us, all of us. Nothing we have shared with you is remarkable or unique to something because we have some giftedness or some even being in vocational ministry. It's just the life of a Christian. It's born out in time. 
You spend normal time, God meets you, and it becomes sacred. It becomes kairos. In case you don't know, you know the first thing God made holy was time when he gave the Sabbath. But he's saying, in ordinary life, something special happens. Boy, when we learn to embrace questions and doubt, all of us grow, and all of us need to see God move. I mean, that's the best thing I have when I see questions and doubt. I know from the beginning there's nothing I can say that will convince anybody of anything, but I know God will move. And I just pray for that and go into it. And then that last piece we shared, you can't give what you don't have. Man, I am not interested in having a church full of people that go, Get, we just want our kids to do well in their faith. We need a church full of people that say, I am pursuing faith. And because I am pursuing faith, it will move from generation to generation to generation. Every one of us will have legacy. What do you want it to be? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much just for the joy to hang out with my son today and share from some of his learnings and mine as well. God, we thank you for all the years we've had serving together and just all the years of life and the things you have taught us. And where it's helpful today, God, I pray you'd impart to others from what's been helpful. Where it's not, again, let it fall. Where you bring other things to mind and other ways that you're teaching them to impart faith, let those take root and take fire as well, as we know this is not exhaustive. But God, I am praying that we will be people that pursue you to know you. And out of that, we will build legacy to help others discover you. I pray this in your power and in your name. Amen.